Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is John R. Leonetti. He's a cinematographer and director who shot films like Piranha 3D, Dead Silence, and The Conjuring, as well as directed Annabelle, Wish Upon, and The Silence. His latest film, Lullaby... It's hitting select theaters and on demand on December 16th. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. We're really excited to chat with you uh, because, um, I mean, your, your, your Scar for Life choice is, is always a, a good one to dig into. But um, I so I want to start with with your career. When we mm-hmm. when I was looking back at IMDb and we're it's kind of funny because we're just now going through like a Chucky watch on our on a, like a mini episode. Yeah. I saw yeah. that I think it's your first your fe- first feature film as a cinematographer was Child's Play 3? Uh, actually, let me think about that. You know, maybe, but I want to say no. Okay. I'm trying to remember what, well, there was a, my first film as a cinematographer was a, like a non-union biker picture in the, in the South. Okay. In Biloxi, Mississippi. And um, the union came in about halfway through. And, and even though I contacted them, uh, and they said it was okay to go and do it. And they took me off of it. We took, a, you know, a lot of the people had to leave. Yeah. Or I would have been oh, wow. fine, like $90,000. Anyway, cow. Long, oh, wow. that was, that was, uh, I think called the brotherhood or something, but I want to, I don't know, make, you know, my first DP jobbing, if you will, was on Tales from the Crypt. Okay. Okay. And, and that's where I really, you know, not only started as a, really as a DP, I, uh, it was on the very first three episodes, the first trilogy. Walter Hill directed it, and and that's when I started. I did like two and a half seasons on and off, maybe, I don't know how many episodes I did, seven or so. 
Um, and I would do the wraparounds with bones. I call them the crypt keeper. Oh, that's so cool. It was fun. It seems like throughout uh, your career, horror or genre pictures have been sort of like a theme. Hmm. How, what, what, what made you want to be involved in, in films and especially like the horror genre? You know, it's actually a random thing. Okay. okay. It's interesting. For example, doing uh, shooting child's play three, Chucky three. That was just a job that was offered to me. Actually, after, I want to say, after Tales from the Crypt, maybe they thought it was appropriate now that I kind of think about it. And, um, you know, that was just fun to do. It was it was fun on many levels, especially working with uh, the puppeteers. Mm. And Chuck, oh, yeah. You know, and, you know, having, you know, six guys attached to this doll that you have to shoot and working with them rehearsing with them lighting with them it was it was really interesting it was it was just a good learning curve for just something else as a facet of things we do in filmmaking and you know it was it was it was cool um the one just a little tidbit real quick it was so cool when you know chucky would be his own stand-in right because mm-hmm. he didn't need one he had to be hooked up to those cats anyway and there was a time one time when i said chucky his head was looking like opposite way or something I said, Chucky, can you can you turn your head this way? And he goes like this, flips me off. <laughs> I'll never forget that. You know, they just were messing with me, and it was very cool. Um, but uh, so that was wasn't because I was a horror buff or fan necessarily at all. Okay, yeah. I have shot, as you know, if you looked at my MDB, many different kinds of things. Oh yeah, you know, it's a wide variety, but really. What kicked it in, you guys, is I was a universal boy, I call it. I was a cinematographer doing like the Scorpion King, for example. And, mm-hmm. and yeah. I've done other movies at Universal. And James Wan was directing um, Dead Silence. Yeah. And they wanted to get a kind of a, a an experienced but youngish uh, DP to m- meet him and... and um, you know, and team up with him because he had only done Saw. It was a small independent film that, you know, the studios want to protect their investment and all that BS, even yeah. though, you know, James was very capable. Obviously, he's brilliant, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we met. And then we had such a great rapport. I did, what, four more films in a row after that? You know, yeah. I shot yeah. all those movies with him. And then we I helped, helped him create in, the Insidious uh, franchise and did one and two and it was even a co-producer on it or whatever and then and then we did the conjuring and and it was that sort of progression with James because he loved it that got me into it now I I really love making horror movies because they're 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 exceptionally fun to craft yeah Mm -hmm. i mean so every movie you know if it's worth anything you you invest the audience in the characters right first Mm -hmm. well you got to do that in a horror movie too that's (laughs) essential yeah once you do then you can get under their skin and then you can manipulate them and that's the fun part you get to use all these different tools i mean a lot of it is suspense you know it's not yeah and that's so fun and i always loved hitchcock he was like my mentor Okay. So I studied him and there was a book, Truffaut on Hitchcock. I randomly read, oh my God, 30 years ago. I have no idea how long it was. And Truffaut was a director himself, but he wrote on Hitchcock. And I analyzed what, you know, Alfred Hitchcock did. Um, 
you know, you may or may not know this, but he literally uh, had the whole movie shot and done and completed and edited in his mind before he started shooting. Right. Okay? And so I, I use that model and that's exactly what I do the same. I have the whole movie is laid out. Uh, I, I write out the whole movie cut, not, 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 um, not sh uh, shooting, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like a shooting list for the day. Mm -hmm. It's literally like a storyboard without pictures. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. And then you, once you you have that and you're that prepared, then you can actually have a lot more freedom to be even be more creative if you want to know the truth. If you, if you want to change something, yeah. you're going to change it. Anyway, but that's how I got into horror. And again, I'm not a buff. I, uh, you know, when I was a kid, which we'll, you know, talk about later, I did see The Exorcist. I was raised Catholic, scared the shit out of me. So I understand um, the effect it can have on an audience. <laughs> and mm -hmm. once I saw that, you know, once we did Dead Silence, it scared people, but it 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 didn't scare people like Insidious or The Conjuring, even though right. I think mm -hmm. it's a good movie. Okay, oh, good, I love really Dead Silence. <laughs> Hey, you know, it's what's funny. Um, and one of the I think one of the special things that sometimes happens with this podcast, and this is one of those cases, is we actually one of our previous guests, Dead Silence, was their scarred for life story. It really? was the movie that terrified them. Cool. And yeah. so it's really kind of cool to like have the person that shot that movie who is mostly responsible for like the terrifying nature of that film, terrifying your previous guest. No, no, that's super cool. It is a scary movie. Please don't get me wrong. It's just I think that it. I think actually Dead Silence has legs that as it's come in time, if people appreciate it more and more as it should mm -hmm. be, because it's really a, I think a classy horror movie. And, and, you know, James obviously has so much to do with that, but uh, it was fun to do. Oh my God. Super fun. Well, and I love the vibe that you curate and that too, with like the, mm -hmm. the foggy, almost like hammery horror vibe, because, but also like, because you worked with James Wan, you have the the cinematography that we are so used to in Insidious and The Conjuring. What was that like to develop that with him? I mean, it's iconic, mm. the iconic ways that you film ghosts and jump scares. It's so cool. So what was that like shaping that kind of aesthetic, both your, oh, yeah. as yourself and also with Wan? No, you're, you're it, it's so true. Um, you know, Dead Silence was our you know, our meeting, our, our, you know, our, our, uh, like our honeymoon or, you know, it was the beginning of our relationship. Yeah. And that was a studio picture that was like a $20 million budget. I think mm -hmm. it was. Okay. Now when he did saw, he did it for like a million bucks. Okay. Right. Yeah. He had come from that world and I had come from more studio pictures than independence, even though I had shot independence and, and television, you know, I, 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 I had done a very things, but what was interesting is we shot Dead Silence kind of like a normal movie in terms of schedule and this and that. And we had we it was a little bit more grand Dead Silence, let's say. Okay. It was more stylized. It yeah. was, you know, in terms of visually stylized. It's scary and dark and very deep, you know, skip leech, um, you know, very cool colors, blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, working with James in on that movie was just uh, creating the color motif, going into the DI, the digital intermediate and coloring the movie with him and, and knowing about that he was, he's a very visual guy. So we had this language that we kind of 
learned each other on in Dead Silence. Then here comes, well, we did another movie, Death Sentence, which is not a horror movie. Right. I don't yeah. know if you guys ever saw. I have, I yeah. It's one of James's best movies ever, personally. It's really good. Yeah, you know, it's really good. It's, I think it has the resonance that is heart pounding, but neither here nor there. Then the real next horror movie we did was Insidious One. And I mean, we did that. I mean, I did it for nothing. I didn't even have a make a salary on it. And my, oh, wow. my, yeah, we, 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 I got a back end ultimately and actually got paid some money for it. But the whole crew got a back end. We were all in this pool and we, and that's like unheard of in the business. I mean, really yeah. unheard of. That's a whole discussion itself. But the point is, we, we, we probably prepped that movie for six weeks. You don't get six weeks prep on That's a million a dollar budget ever. Um, if you get two weeks, you're lucky, right? So yeah. because we were doing it for free, it was it was I, it was more of an experiment. And we had these two homes, and they were practical locations. And and what James and I really came to terms with together, which we we believed in in Dead Silence, was that. For Insidious, and I really, we've come to really get to the point where every single, I believe, horror movie or, or scary movie needs to be as realistic as possible in terms of the way it looks, as natural mm-hmm. to a degree. Don't get me wrong. You you dramatize it by, you know, strategizing the darkness in movies. But but what was key is, you and the lighting has to be, very real, organic, and like almost no movie lights. Right. Mm-hmm. In other words, like yeah, lit by practicals. And so that's one aspect. And we had time, I had time with my gaffer and my key grip and with James to design oh, uh, the lighting in the house for a very specific, for two reasons, which are giant in making horror movies, for those who are interested. One mm-hmm. is... You want to take the audience with you throughout the 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 place you're shooting you're you're in in the story, or it's a house, or what doesn't matter what it is, and you want to be able to move from room to room uninterrupted with sometimes long takes, but mm-hmm. also, so you need to light the whole house. Yeah, you have yeah. to be able yeah. to shoot. It makes sense everywhere all the time in a regular movie, and even in Dead Silence, you go in and you shoot. A, a, uh, you basically you shoot oftentimes a room out and then and you go out of continuity and then you shoot another room out and then you shoot another room out so that you can, it, you know, it, it seems like it's most movies are made that way. You guys that it's out of continuity. Well, right. For major reasons, aside from, well, it's better for the actors. It's better for the director. It's better for everybody, especially in a horror movie, because you, you see how the, emotions and fear builds and you and you you already had the experience of what was before so we set it up in insidious one that we could do that in every single movie after that insidious one two the conjuring annabelle that you know uh all the movies i've directed basically since then um pretty much have been shot in continuity wow that's that's unheard of a lot Typically, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Well, it is. And, but it's so yeah. smart. It's actually yeah. efficient. It's even more efficient because, you know, it's better 
to take a lot of time up front and prepare everything and then just go and don't get interrupted. And to have the freedom to go from room to room is giant. I'm telling yeah. you, it's giant on every yeah. level. So we, Insidious One was the, was like the, the little baby that we developed for The Conjuring. Yeah. Wow. And in The Conjuring, we built that farmhouse on stage, 6,000 oh, square wow. feet, oh. never, ever moved a wall. Just, we made it just a little bit bigger, and we used a practical location uh, in, in North Carolina, outside of Wilmington. There was a farmhouse, and in the very in the beginning of that movie, I don't know if you remember, but they pull up, we're inside the living room, they come in the front door, you know, all that. Um, and then in, when they come in, we we bring them in. We, we go through the front door, all the way through the house, and go up to the backyard, yep. all in one shot. Well, it was really it's three shots, shot. but because we used the practical location on the beginning and the end, and with green screens, we combined the front and back door, and then we went through the house on stage. Wow. But it's seamlessly all one shot. But point is, though, we made it practical on stage okay just like a practical home and we lit it with the same techniques that we use in, in insidious yet we're on stage so i had stage lighting all the way around it we had a site that went 270 degrees of uh, trans light that i shot we shot stills of all the way around at the real place and then we put the translate all the way around you know the set and we we treated it like a practical location that's amazing. Wow. And I'm telling you, it adds to how scary these movies are. Yeah. Yeah. Holy um, cow. So that's a bit to chew on. I know it's just, <laughs> it's, but it's, it's a, it really is cool. And I, you know, if I, you know, I thought about teaching, um, maybe going to, you know, teach film school or something. I've, I've lectured a little bit before, but, you know, I mean, these are things that would be, I think, super instrumental for film students, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I would I would kind of be remiss. You mentioned TV. And when I was looking through your career, there is a little known show that I saw pop up there that you directed, I think, one episode of. But yeah. Kindred the Embraced from oh. the 90s. Do you even remember that? It was a Kindred. vampire TV show. I think it was on broadcast. And I just, I, it was a show like, uh, it was based on World of Darkness and Vampire I, the Masquerade role play no, game. And I, I was remember a, it. Oh, uh, but vaguely, but I, yeah. Yes. Oh my God. I was a huge a nerd. And I remember watching that, that show religiously when it came out. I think it only had like maybe a single season run. But yeah, like, I, I saw that. that you directed an episode. I was like, holy cow, what a small world. Cause I loved that show <laughs> as a kid. No, that was cool. God, you, that, you really rung a bell for me there. I mean, you <laughs> me up a little bit. Um, that's so true. Yeah, I mean, I I did some television here and there. I directed one episode of a Sleepy Hollow. Yep, I saw that I shot, too. Yeah, got that. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know if I ever did anything in the sort of horror zone in in television, to my recollection, though. But um, I'd love to direct television again. Yeah, I, I mean, it's in a renaissance like, right in now. In horror, would be fun. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of of directing, you um, have a new film coming out called Lullaby. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that film? Surely. It's, uh, you know, it's a a different twist, I think, on the on telling a supernatural horror story. And it's very cool. In contrast to The Exorcist, for example, which is based on, you know, Judeo-Christian mythology. 
This is based on ancient Hebrew mythology, which comes way before Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think, and, and it's all about Lilith, who, you know, who is Lilith? Well, I didn't know until I read the damn script and I went, oh my God, this is cool. And I researched this entity, this lady, and you come to find out she was the first wife of Adam before Eve. And this is in the Talmud, not the Torah, but it's in the Talmud, in their in their mythology. Mm-hmm. She was equal to Adam, not of his rib, and different than Eve, of course. Mm-hmm. And she was a strong woman. Mm-hmm. And she was the first woman, supposedly, but she was such a strong woman, she was banned to the wolves because she was too strong for God and, and I guess, Adam. I don't know. It's a bizarre thing. So she's kind of the first woman's liver, really. You want to know but um beyond that i i really love female protagonists and mm-hmm. um well if you look at most a lot of my films have been that right about them and um i really she really interested me but basically what happened is because she was banned to the wolves she could not have natural babies human babies so the any offspring she had were half animal half her whatever they were freakish little thingies And, you know, she was pissed. And so, you know, she took this song that Adam used to sing to her and turned it into a lullaby. Now, let's pause with that for a second. Because lullabies are all creepy. If you stop and think about lullabies, they're all creepy. And so when I read the script... I, t- I closed the, you know, last read the last page and closed it. And I went, how cool would it be to make a title sequence up front that that shows how creepy, you know, our contemporary lullabies are and then set the stage for, you know, the the terror and the horror of what, you know, is come is in a lullaby, really. Yeah. And it was really interesting to me. So if you notice in the movie. Um, it's intertwined when meeting Vivian and her husband in the opening of the movie. Yes, it is. It's yeah. super fun to do, but neither here nor there. So Lilith is, has created this lullaby that if a mother sings the lullaby and, they, and she has a newborn baby, it opens a portal for her harbingers, her crone, which is a wicked witch, like kind of character, and... The, the other harbingers are her couple of her offspring that are freaky, half baby, half toddler, half animal I mean, configurations, which which come and set the stage for Lilith to literally come through the portal and take the baby once the lullaby has been sung and three sort of things have kind of happened. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what it is. And this has been going on since the beginning of time. And in the 13th century, um, this lullaby book surfaced in in the world. Now, before that, from what we understand or the way we look at it is the lullaby was just passed on through lore, through, you know, sort of word of word of mouth and word of song, if you will. And it's about a couple that gets a new baby. They get somehow they get the book. As lullaby book, and they she she sings the song, and here we go. Here we go. That's cool. So 
I, you know, it's it's interesting. You brought up this this angle as well. Like a lot of possession movies, or like demonic movies, or or that kind of supernatural stuff is based a lot in this sort of Judeo Christian, as you mentioned, uh, yes. a lot of Catholicism. Um, but yes. like recently, we've seen a lot more um, entries in in like the it was the Vigil, which was Jewish horror, and mm-hmm. we've seen like the Wailing, which was Korean. And oh, there's yeah, like a lot of different. True. No, you're right. There's a lot more um, representation, I would say. And so I was, I was curious, what about this particular story drew you as a director? Well, part of it was Lilith. Mm-hmm. She, to me, is just super interesting. And again, I'm pro, I'm kind yeah. of a pro-woman kind of guy. And I, you know, I love the, um, I love the, the sort of paradox of, of this, of the theme of this story. There's nothing more powerful than the love you have for your child. And the, that power, or if that's taken away, you, what creates is the opposite of that, a retribution that is horrific. Mm. And so it's, a, it's kind of a two-edged sword that love can create, you know, this kind of pain and retribution. And, and it's interesting. That was really interesting to me. I also was intrigued by the way that they open a portal and how it comes through a mirror. And we can talk about how we did some of that. And it goes back to, I, I immediately saw that, you know, I'm not a big visual effects in horror movie person. I'm not a big, mm-hmm. visual, I mean, visual effects are great. Don't get me wrong. It's when they're seamless, you don't know they're visual effects. They're phenomenal. And, and, the, and it's not that I really don't like them, but, I don't want that evident in a in a horror movie where I think it has to be very grounded and real. Right. You know, so I have had a lot of, had had a lot of experience with ghost glass, it's called, which are beam splitter mirrors. Okay. And and so when I saw that, I go, oh my God, how cool will it be to do that in camera? Which mm. we did. We built black rooms behind the the you know, the the fireplace and the mantle where the mirror was and in the hallway. Right. And would put Lilith, I mean, um, um, the crone or whatever out there, and with light in this beam splitter that is partially translucent, partially reflective, like a mirror, but you can see through it too. You know, like in the detective or in the, the those rooms in the, you know, the interrogation room type stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 Interrogation rooms. It's that's a beam splitter, basically. Okay. A version uh... of that. So and it immediately struck a chord in me because if you can do it in camera and the actors can react to it, they can mm-hmm. act to it, that it actually adds mm-hmm. to the realism. And again, this is, I firmly believe this, the more real it is, the more believable it is, the more believable it is, then the scarier it will be. It's such a cool shot that I, I love seeing that. So I'm really glad that you're talking about it. Cause I was like, I wonder, I was curious how you, how you pulled that off. Cause it, it's almost like at one moment when you first introduce it, it's almost imperceptible. And then you start to see like the features form in it. And it was like, that yeah. is, it's really cool. It's all done with light and balancing light, the black room in behind and the reflecting the set and the, the actors in the, in, you know, off the mm-hmm. mirror. And then, you know, I've, my corporation, if you will, my personal business corporation, when I incorporated in I don't know, 2001, it's called, uh, I named it Balancio, balance in light okay. and in life uh, is my motto. You know, everything cool. is, should be in balance. But so, so that struck a chord with me. Okay. And, you know, it was it, to create a lullaby, I thought would be really interesting, you know, literally to come up with a song and 
And immediately I called Joe Bashara, who was the composer on, you know, Conjuring, Annabelle, you know, Insidious. Yeah. He was the demon in, in Annabelle and in, in Insidious and in The Conjuring, oh, you wow. know. <gasps> and, uh, I didn't know that. that. He's a friend, too, you know. And for, to be able to work with him and to... You know, I I really researched the 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 lullaby myself. I looked at um, ancient Hebrew or Jewish uh, lullabies, and then I I never found one of those that just was just right because it has to be beautiful and enticing yet creepy, right? And, yeah. And so I, I ultimately found an ancient or old Gaelic actually tune uh, lullaby. Oh, wow. That that had the right chords, simple oh. chords that are will also grab you and it's repeatable. Like you, you you know you know what uh, I mean. And, yes, and I okay. sent that to Joe, and then you know we ended up with what we got. That's so cool. Wow, that's it was so fun. Cool. So it was a lot of challenges, and it, but it was just a really interesting story. And and uh, I love the whole thing with I love you know the relationship between uh, John and Rachel. And yes, it's like the, it's one of the like few movies I feel like it doesn't have the wife being crazy or the mom being crazy and they're on the same page you're right and I think that's like so incredible to see in horror like okay cool we're not reverting to a crazy woman a crazy mom and the guy is like put her right. away it's you're just right. it's a I nice mean, refreshing Annabelle. you're right yeah uh, yeah Annabelle, you know he didn't believe her. her husband didn't believe her really and she was going through this pretty much by herself where like they say we a team yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I love that. I mean, I'm a I'm a sap. So I love that saying, just saying. I mean, I make horror movies, but I'm actually a fairly sweet person, you know? <laughs> I think I really find that I feel like the nicest people are the ones that make horror movies. It's oh, yeah. what we have discovered in doing the <laughs> podcast. Cool. And real quick, what was it like working so much with the baby? Because this I mean, obviously there's a baby in the whole movie. What was that like? It's in this one was a toughie. I mean, it was great, <laughs> but Oh my God! We you know because we had babies in in uh, Annabelle as well, and yeah. about the same age. And yeah, oh my God! We you always have, of course, you have to have twins, so that right. you can because of Maximize, scheduling, you yeah. just can't rely on one baby to pull things off because you know they the, for obvious reasons. So we had two sets of twins in this one, one oh, for Eli, wow. one for Zach. Okay, um, uh-huh. and so you know this was. I love babies, okay? And I love having them around. But how do you make a baby cry? And, and, and I mean, you're not going to go to jail for that shit, right? So, yeah. you know, I, um, I, we, you know, we would bring a baby in when it was tired. It was already crying. And, and we'd wait for the right, or we, you know, and then you, you could bring a baby in when you hope it's in a good mood. And then it starts crying. Oh, if we no. would have, you know, basically baby time, we called it. We would have, like, we'd have that nursery ready and lit. We had the whole house lit, like I told you before. The whole thing was ready to go. But we would even have a, I put the B camera in there, ready to go. Oh, the baby's asleep or whatever it is. Bring it in. We'd stop what we were doing, run down to that set. You know, it was, it's a little crazy. But, and the poor parents, <laughs> their schedules got all fucked up. Of course, the kids. <laughs> And they didn't, you know, care for what you wish for and what they signed up for. Oh, my God. I mean, it, at the end of the day, they were fine, but it was hard on them. And I, you know, I, I yeah. just it's not easy. I'm not going to bullshit you. Yeah, I can imagine. Seriously. But OK, so you talked a little bit about 
your relationship to horror when you were younger, but I wanted to dive a little bit more into that. Do you remember the first horror movie you ever saw? You know, it's a really good question. I I have to say, I want to say it was The Birds. Okay. Oh, okay. Or okay. and or Psycho. That's when I got cooked into to uh, Hitchcock. Those are the those two movies stuck out to me. You know, my actually my father was an worked on the birds. He was in a gaffer and electrician. My dad worked on the Wizard of Oz. He was an oh, electrician. Wow. That's a whole Whoa. other. I mean, that's a whole other discussion. My father and his the heritage of that. But anyway, um, yeah. So I want to say those. You know, because I'm a lot older than you guys, and those of in that in those days, unless you were, unless you were into horror, you the more obscure, cool horror classic things, I really wasn't into. Mm. Of course, then came along The Exorcist, which was very popular. It's very commercial, yet it was extremely frightening. Uh, you know. Yeah. So that was kind of my, I guess, what I would remember. Okay. okay. Well, so Terry, do we want to maybe transition into talking about the exercise? Yeah, let's let's do that. But first, okay. let's take a quick let's take a quick break, and we're back. And we're back. And we're um, back. Okay. Well, John, what movie did you bring with you today for us to discuss? Well, I brought The Exorcist, the original. The, the Exorcist. So, listeners, you know that we have chatted about The Exorcist previously, but uh, just a quick catch up of in The Exorcist. Uh, a teenage when a teenage girl is possessed by a mysterious entity, her mother seeks the help of two priests to save her daughter. Yes. Okay. Right. So, uh, give us kind of your horror story for this. How old were you when you saw this? How did you see this? Why did you see this? Why is this your scarred for life pick? Give us basically your horror story. I was, I think it was in '73. The movie came out, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something like that. <clears throat> yep. I was 17. Okay. okay. Now. Okay. Um, I was also raised Catholic. Ah. Okay. And I was very, very, in those days, devout. Very. I was the lead altar boy at grade school, you know, all the way through grade school. I mean, I I was the one that went, you know, was pulled out of class to go serve all the funerals with the bishop. And and I did all the weddings and I'm going to go on and on about that. Did you go to Catholic school? I did. I went to St. Timothy's okay. and then to Loyola High School. Oh, okay. Which I, which I, we can talk a little bit about later because there is definitely an exorcist uh, story for Loyola High, which I'll tell you. Oh. Um, that's kind of interesting in any case. But so I just remember going to the movies with friends and then I was so scared. I came back and I told my parents, I asked my parents literally, can I sleep on the floor in front of your, in your bedroom? Oh, no. And I did. Oh. So, I mean, and again, I wasn't like a horror movie, you know, aficionado or buff, but it affected me. And again, it's because I really believe because I was so, um, I, I had so much faith yeah. you know, and, yeah. and, and belief and all that. Now, today, I'm not as religious, to be candid. Okay. And I'm not I'm not knocking it if you are or you aren't. I'm just yeah, being, no. you know, but then my perspective is very different <laughs> than it is now. Wow. wow. So you saw it in the theaters. What that was, was that experience that like? like to see this in a movie theater, like when it is, you know, just come out recently? Oh, yeah. Well, from what I remember, I just remember it it 
you know, there's not, it wasn't a jump scare movie. It was just, you know, it wasn't like that. It was just relentless terror with what happened yeah. with, you know, the first, the, the little, you know, her, the yeah. girl, and then um, Reagan was her name, I think. Yeah. And, and you know, the two priests, for, I think it was Ferris and Marin, I believe, were the priests. The young one was Ferris. And then Marin was the was was one as well. And that's the one they ultimately called in. And I, I don't know. I just I just think it was it how she was so uh manipulated by this this spirit just totally uh grabbed me and 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 like it's almost like I thought it was real. They pulled it off, you know, and so that could her head really spin around, you know, keep spinning around. It was almost, it was kind of believable. It, it sucked me into like, you know, really being again with, because of my faith, it gave a lot of sort of power to the devil. Yeah. And so it, 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 that was conjured in my mind. And yeah, I mean, it scared me and all my friends. And I wasn't the only one that slept with our parents that night. I want to say. So, oh my God! I, I believe it. You know, it's just the faith of it, though. Yeah. You know? So, oh yeah. So you were in you were in Catholic school. Did did other uh, Catholic um, students go see this movie too, or yeah, your we, school? We were, yes, it was um, my high school buddies from Loyola is who I okay. went with, basically, and okay, one of them, Cameron, who then ultimately became a Jesuit priest. Ultimately, no way. Totally. And this these were Jesuit priests in the Exorcist. Yeah, we were. Yeah. Being by the Jesuits. Yeah. Loyola is a Jesuit school. So I forgot yeah. that adds to the, the whole party of this thing, yeah. you know? So, uh, yeah. And, you know, I think that, you know, I, I, if I look at the movie today, looking back at it, it, it holds up, but it, it, it isn't near as effective when I see it now as when it, when I saw it then. I, I was wondering about that because, um, you know, I, this has never been really a movie that, um, like I appreciate the filmmaking behind it. I appreciate what it's doing, but like, I was never raised religious. I'm not a religious mm -hmm. person. Right. And so when I finally saw this movie that everyone had been talking about when I was, I, you know, I, I don't think I saw it until I was maybe like in my late teens, maybe early 20, I think late teens probably. Mm -hmm. Um, but it didn't really hold the same effect on me that um everyone seemed to have and i i all i do wonder if that's because i was never raised religious the stuff in here was like more of just special effects and and you know goopy yeah. vomit and stuff so like i I, right. I never really had like a connection to this film that a lot of people people do i did like like very bad <laughs> <laughs> i was also raised catholic and i have oh. and my family is still very catholic my on uh -huh. one side irish catholic yeah. Um, Mary I know that's Mary Beth. Go ahead, Mickey, Mickey Andrews. Like, oh, yeah. oh my god, yeah, Mickey, uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my dad is like very scared of demons, and that's a whole thing. But mm -hmm. watching it with him when I was younger, like, mm -hmm. I 100% was like, uh, now that we've said Pazuzu a million times, <laughs> I'm I'm cursed, like, it's coming for me, it, right. and like. I my fiance my oh my oh my we're married now actually my husband I just showed it to him for the first time this year and he was yeah. like I get why people were scared of it but he wasn't raised Catholic either so it is really interesting to watch it with people who weren't raised 
specifically Catholic and have that very specific kind of like relationship slash trauma. To, I'll call it that to the subject matter. Well, it's true, but you know what's interesting? If we analyze the exorcist and the conjuring, mm-hmm. I believe the conjuring 20 years from now will hold up better than the exorcist did 20 years later. A hundred percent. And and I'm nothing against the filmmakers of the exorcist because they're the best ever i mean oh my god owen roisman who even shot it you know oh my god come on i mean the the photography forget you know everything i mean it was it was well made and crafted oh absolutely effective i'm not dissing it but it would be interesting to analyze because it's the same subject matter really Mm -hmm. i mean it's an exorcism deal you know and uh, it ultimately, but I, part, I think part of it is, of course, the way we did it. I think obviously part of that is the story and the fact that the Warrens um, have some reality base to them. And right. that, you know, people have, that you can make, a, you know, re, there's accounts of that. But I'd really be curious to see in 20 years because I think The Conjuring, honestly, and not because I had anything to do with it, is one of the best horror movies in the past couple decades. I completely agree with that. Yeah. And I that. honestly, I do think, I, I I honestly believe that it will hold up a lot more than The Exorcist. Because I, I don't know. There's just, I love The Exorcist. I really do. It's just, mm-hmm. I don't, it doesn't really have that same draw to me that, like, seeing The Conjuring has. And, yeah, The Conjuring is more recent, yada, yada, yada. But, like... I really do think that that movie is going to stand the test of time a bit more than the exorcist will. And I think part of that part of maybe for me is because um, I probably saw the exorcist for the first time around the same time that scary movie two came out. And there's that (laughs) opening of scary movie two. Oh, that's funny. Is like, you know, just it's, it's a complete parody of, of basically all of the scary parts of, or like the more abject horror parts of the, of the exorcist. And so like, now watching it i just want to quote the scary movie 2 movie when i watch it and so it's in my mind it's like this almost ruined magical moment for me just because of when it came when i saw it probably wow that's very funny that's wow. very funny. but i do have a little story i have to share with you okay so you know we get scared by the exorcist i'm in loyola high jesuit school yes the main building for california and that's not like Europe or whatever, but it's 100 years old, right, at the time. It was built in the 1880s. Okay. And it was a three-story. We had three stories, and then there was an attic above it. And I was a senior in high school at the time. So we, we, um, for our senior prank, I randomly, you know, my father and our family had a motion picture equipment business rental company, and and we were moving from one place down the street to another building. So the intercom system that was there was left behind. Oh, boy. So I got this crazy idea. And we, with the help of one of the Jesuit scholastics, over a couple weekends with my buddies, he gave us a key at night. We snuck in and we went into the attic and we wired all the rooms in the third floor to this intercom system where you'd have to enter it in this one room. You pull down a ladder, you go up, you pull it up. Nobody knows you're there or whatever. And so for about two weeks, we would go up there. We'd call kids out of class. Like we were the dean and shit, you know, we, whatever. We just mess with it. But 
But Father Colosimo, who taught world religions and, and calculus, he was a pretty old guy at the time. He was super serious. And so I would go up there and I'd get on the rafters in there and I'd, I'd go <laughs> into the, in the, I swear to God, I sw and I'd do that a little bit and then I'd stop. And I swear to God. And it was freaking them out and they're wondering, where the, who's doing this? Where's this coming from? Is it in the wire? You know, whatever. I swear to God. And then we finally got caught. One little freshman kid at lunch one day saw us going up there. Oh, and we no. got busted. <laughs> and then we had to clean out all the lockers in the whole school. But anyway, I had to share that with you. That's the little so amazing. Exercise, Jesuit thing. That's was so that, amazing. Was that after you saw The Exorcist or before? After. Oh, my That's God. So that is incredible. Yeah, 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 because I knew the Marin thing. You know, I turned this frightening thing into kind of a, a bit of a fun, jokey thing. Oh, my God. Well, okay. So after... Like, even before you saw it, was, like, their buzz around school about the exorcist, people talking about it at all? Um, you know, I I want to say yes in a way, but I, yeah. I, it's been so long, honey. I mean, it's been a long time. That's 50 yeah, years ago for me. Fair you enough. know, um, so old, old, twice older than you are. No, no, no. But you know what I mean? It's a long time ago. Yeah. But I do. But because I was in a Jesuit high school. Yeah. I mean, that was like, we got to go see the exorcist. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah. uh, so it, no, and my my Cameron, the guy who became a priest, ultimately a Jesuit priest, he was he was like he was converted from being a Baptist Catholicism. And he came into my school in sixth grade at St. Tim's. And that's what we became. Friends. We both went to Loyola together. And we were still friends to this day, by the way. But but wow. he was like, he could read tarot cards and stuff. He was really into the, oh, he was okay. into the whole thing. Probably shouldn't tell you this, but there were like some nights where even the Jesuits in those days would go into this room and Cameron would go in there and um, they would speak in tongues. Oh, wow. Okay. Holy, with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That kind of shit. And I didn't, you know, I didn't have any part of it, but I'm just telling you there's a little bit of history there tied to the exorcist in that way. And it's, I don't know, just kind of interesting. Honestly, wow. Catholicism is so weird. Hmm. That's for Good sure. Lord. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just so curious about, about your experience watching this film, because like, you know, as you grow up, it, it these are, there are, mo there are movies where it's like, very indelible for the theatrical experience like that first time or being able to see a movie without any buzz like for me i remember going in high school like uh because i was in high school in the 90s so it was uh scream and titanic like you come back from those movies everyone at school is talking about it so i just i i, I just i'm curious i just i'm so excited to, to, to hear you talk about sort of like seeing that for the first time where no one was really expecting like now you know it's the exorcist but at the time it was like a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, it was. Well, I think the thing made how many hundreds of millions of dollars? Yeah, so days, much. That's giant. Yeah. Giant. The exposure it got, not just in the U.S. and Canada, but internationally, too. Yeah. But that's also when the world was more religious, period. Mm -hmm. And I think people were way more susceptible to, again, I really think a lot of it had to do with faith and the fact that I was Catholic yeah. and you know, I was surrounded by, you know, I, was, I was just way into it. Um, yes, there was a buzz about it. And then, you know, but I don't know, I, I, 
it's the one movie that as I go back in my lifetime when I was, you know, like that young that, I mean, just immediately just stands out as what, like, it just scared the heck out of me, you know? Yeah. It really yeah. Did. And it just made that impact on me, you know? Yeah. So, it, I mean, oh, so go ahead. No, I was going to say, did this, it terrified you. Did it spark any interest in watching like horror movies or experiencing them at all? Or did it kind of keep you from ever wanting to watch horror movies again? No, I think it, it I think it opened my mind to them. Um, okay. Actually. And, 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 and like I say, I, I, you know, I liked Hitchcock's movies before that and they're, you know, psychological horror. Oh yeah. The birds is terrifying. The birds scared me when I saw it in grad school. Like it's still scary. Oh <laughs> birds still holds up in its own. Yeah. Way. Yeah. Just, you know, ironically. So, which is, it isn't, it isn't, it really isn't a horror movie, but it's so well made. The, the Wizard of Oz. I mean, it's. Oh, yeah. That was a scarred for life pick on this movie as well for someone, uh, for one of our previous guests was The Wizard of Oz. So absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I even thought about that. Again, since my dad worked on it, that's just mm-hmm. a whole other, you know, thing. But I think that's one of the, maybe the best movie of all time because of and how well it does hold up. More so, no offense, I think. Then The Exorcist, when I go back and look at it. I agree. And then, you know, I'm going to go forward a little bit and connect another movie, but it's Poltergeist. Yep. Okay? okay. Now, I worked on that the original Poltergeist as well. I was the focus puller, the lead assistant. I'm the one that did the zoom in the hallway where it expanded and contracted no. when Beth Williams is running down the hallway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My brother, Matt, who's a cinematographer as well, he's retired now shot it i was the focus pillar we even used our own family camera on the thing i go on and on but but Shit. you know i have that experience and i had the experience of um, we're veering a little bit but but i had the experience of watching steven well toby hooper was the, the director but um steven spielberg had a lot to do with it too God, and i love toby oh man i love that guy but that's just a thing that's that's oh, yeah. another conversation but yeah. um now that working on that movie while working on it um it did creep me out a bit you know oh, really? like being in the pool with all those skulls and all that <gasps> stuff popping up and, yes. you know it, and but um i think the original poltergeist and the exorcist are kind of in the same vein for me of of effects and you know, kind of, I don't know, believability, suspension of believability enough to believe that it's really happening kind of deal. Yeah. yeah. But, um, anyway, I veered, but. Well, no, what's what's funny, though, is that you bring this up. And uh, when we started Scarred for Life, there were there was a movie that scarred me and there was a movie that scarred Mary Beth and Poltergeist was Mary Beth's choice. That was the movie no. that scarred her for that life. That movie ruined me as a child. I, I still get scared around closets because I am a grown adult. Well, you know, I could understand. And oh my God, just that closet in um, in Poltergeist. Oh, I could tell you how that was done and it would blow your mind. Like, you know, all the rays of light and stuff coming out yeah. of it. It was, do you know that... We took a, uh, we stripped a mattress bed spring and put, broke up mirrors and put mirrors on all those bed springs and then attached vibrator motors to the bed spring and then filled it with smoke and hit 
two, at least two different, from two angles, xenon lights into it and reflected it out. And that's what made those shards in camera. Holy cow. Yeah. Holy cow. Oh, I've got so many, so many, so many stories about how we do shit, but that's an, that's just a little tidbit. Yeah. That's so cool. Isn't that cool? That's amazing. Oh yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's no. fun to watch Movies. that. I was just Man. the assistant cameraman, but still, um, it was a hell of an experience. But, yeah. you know, The Exorcist is, I don't know, still, even though it doesn't hold up for me, it... They, the if I go back in my mind, it's frightened. It still frightens me. That I, yeah. I remember being that scared that I'd sleep, you know, on the floor in my parents' room. My God, you know. Yeah. Did your parents know you saw it? Like, did were they like, or did you sneak it and then were like, oh, I saw The Exorcist? Uh, no, no, no. They knew we were going, but okay. they were they were kind of blown away when I said, "Would you guys mind if I sleep on the floor with you guys tonight?" <laughs> And they go, oh, sure, John. Oh, sure, John Robert. That was my, you know, they call me John Robert, whatever. Anyway, and uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, um, crazy. Well, you know, I, what I will say is that what I think has held up, and I rewatched it in prep for, for, the, for our recording tonight, yeah. was the first part of it where we don't know what's wrong with Regan. And mm -hmm. her mom is taking her to all these specialists and everyone's running all these tests. And the movie does a really good job of focusing on that, that scientific aspect where like there's yep. that scene where they are trying to take like, a sample from her neck and it's just like spurting blood. And there's like all of these little moments where no one knows what's wrong with this poor girl. And it like it hit me particularly as an adult because one of my friends is going through a similar thing where like she's like having pains and she's going to all these meetings and all these doctors and no one is is able to like well let's pass you off to this other doctor and pass you off to this right. other doctor and find out what's wrong Very and so true. that aspect of it i think in particular that first half i think is still incredibly effective because it's it's that fear that i think everyone has over a loved one where you don't know what you can do to fix them you're at your wits end and nothing seems to be helping. I think that's absolutely accurate, especially now that you say that. It's so, so true. The the buildup to it all until when the mother finally goes in the room and all shit hits the fan and right. it's cold and she's spinning her head around and <laughs> all that bullshit. Um, you know, it, you're right. That's It actually laid a lot of groundwork for psychological groundwork you know, mm -hmm. for the vivid sort of horror that come came later. And, you know, when I did Annabelle, uh, there's a scene where the father, the priest in Annabelle takes the doll and away from them and goes, you know, and takes it back to the church. Mm -hmm. And as he's leaving, I did an homage to, to uh, I'm sorry, to the exorcist when its father, uh, uh, Mirren, when he, there's that shot where he's walking, you know, in front of it, just classic, if you classic, remember that. Yep. Oh, yeah. And I actually really set that up to, like, mimic or, you know, give an homage to uh, to that. I think it was, it was an effective shot. It was creepy as hell. But um, so that was my own little, you know, way to contribute back to it, I guess. And I talk about this a lot, but I live um, right outside of Washington, D.C. So I live near the Exorcist Steps. And oh, it yeah. always is like my fun little tidbit. And my favorite is seeing people do CrossFit and like running <laughs> up and down the steps. Like because oh. people will just work out there because it's like right near the university. It's in a busy part of town. There. 
Yeah. And it's really funny. It's by a gas station now. Like it's very unassuming. Like it just looks like a weird set of stairs. Like you wouldn't guess, but it's just, it's my favorite little tidbit about where I live is the extra steps steps are right there. Well, it's cool. And, and the way that was, um, excuse me, the way that was like, um, shot and set up. And I mean, I don't know, Friedkin and and Roysman together. What a team in that respect. It was visual. I mean, Owen Roisman is maybe, well, he's definitely one of the best cinematographers of all time. Yeah. And, you know, he knew when they, when they kept it very real. It was very, yeah. the lighting in that movie is some of the best in any movie ever. It really is. Um, I really, you know, we'll, we'll say that. Yet, you know, they'd stylize it and get the smoke going and the rays of light and all that shit going when it was appropriate. And... I really have to take my hat off to them for that because they were, as a cinematographer, ultimate respect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are approaching our time. Do we want to wrap up and give uh, The Exorcist our rating out of five? Sounds good. All right, Terry, you are up first. How many head spins out of five do you give The Exorcist? So, I, and I mentioned, I this this movie doesn't resonate with me as much as it does with other people. However, I will say that watching it uh, in prep, I appreciated a whole lot more than I ever probably did as a as a teen or growing up, because I think that first half is just such an immaculate job of of well, even you, John, had said earlier about the importance of creating uh, you know characters that you care about and creating that sort of situation and psychologicalness before you start to throw the the kitchen sink or pea soup mm-hmm. at them and so i think that this movie does a fantastic job of doing that i also for the first time and again i don't i i've not seen this movie a whole lot but i will say that this was the first time that i realized that maybe father Karras is gay and there's like a, a queer edge to that that i think is more pronounced in the book and so like that kind of intri- intrigued me i think this movie is phenomenally shot it's just i happen to have seen it around the same time that i saw scary movie too and so all of the <laughs> horror parts don't really land as much for me anymore as they as they probably had before. But I still think this is a monumental work of, of filmmaking. And so I'm going to give it four head spins out of five. What about you, Mary Beth? I give it four and a half. This is an all-timer for me as an ex-Catholic. It terrified me as a kid. But again, <laughs> as I've watched this as I've gotten older, I've focused more on what's scary in terms of like the emotional journey. Like you're mentioning mm-hmm. this, Tara, that they go on between Karis and him grieving his mother and his guilt about his mother to Reagan both going through all this medical trauma but also like trying to cope with her dad not being around and having an imaginary friend to kind of deal with that and having a mom who is you know trying to be there but is a working actress and you know there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on that I didn't catch watching it when I was younger and the more I've seen this the more I've been more psychologically upset by this movie not due to the religious Mm -hmm. aspect but just to like how how well it melds these characters inner turmoils and problems and traumas into this really terrifying culmination of a religious horror movie Mm -hmm. and i just think it's an incredible it's for me it it doesn't it didn't age as well but it still stands up so it's a four and a half for me but uh john you have the final word how many head spins out of five do you give the exorcist well okay (laughs) for Initial impact, it, I have to say it's five. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. For me at the time, I don't know, 50 years ago almost. That's really crazy to say. But, um, you know, if I was looking at it today, 
I think I'd be in the four zone, four, okay. maybe four and a half, I guess. Um, it's really good, but mm -hmm. um, so I have a different perspective now than I did then. But when it, right. back then, for me, it was a five. Yeah understandable uh well thank you so much john for joining us uh the floor is yours what do you have that you want to talk about promote and um are you on social media can people find you anywhere you know i'm not i it's i'm the weirdest i've never i was on facebook the first probably day or two it existed and then i went i don't think i have time for this i don't think i'd be honorable enough to good do a good you. job on <laughs> facebook that's why i stopped yeah now that being said i will let you know I am involved in a movie now um, that I, I believe is going to get going, and it's called The Angler. Okay. And, yeah, and we're where the script is done, and we're talking about casting literally today, and maybe we can get a few reads from some wonderful actors over the holidays to get that going. It is really interesting psychological thriller with Ooh. a it's a it's left up to the audience if it's there's if it's supernatural or not and it's okay. all about guilt mm. what and guilt can conjure in your mind and and how it can create even visions and whether that's in your mind or is it supernatural is okay. kind of the thread through this thing and it's it's dark and um it's, it's pretty pretty good so oh, yeah awesome. anyway cool and then also everybody lullaby is uh going to be in theaters and on demand on december 16th so please check that out as well um but listeners you've heard from us we want to hear from you what was your experience with the exorcist you can send us an email at scarred for life podcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us directly on twitter i am at mb mcandrews and i'm a gaily dreadful and of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us, join us on Patreon. Uh, thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. 
ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>